Finally, a revival in India in October. After a slow year, we saw gold import surge, but perhaps even more significantly, big surge in the silver imports with 60 million ounces of silver going into India. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics one day before Thanksgiving. And before we get started, would like to wish everyone out there, especially in the U.S., a happy Thanksgiving and also people around the globe who are watching, even if you don't celebrate, hope you're getting set for a nice restful day and appreciating the things that are going well in life and uh, hope everybody is out there staying safe and well and before we take a little break this week, uh, we'll be off on Thursday and Friday. But before we do that, we are going to dig into the silver markets and gold markets again with Steve Cope of Silver Viper and uh, try and make some sense out of what is happening where, fortunately, towards the end of 2023, Steve, we're getting a little bit of a rebound, not all that far off the highs in silver, uh, higher on the year in gold. So We'll touch on that and more, but first of all, welcome on in, and how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing all right, Chris. It's, uh, it's good to be on the show. Thanks. Well, appreciate you being here, and why don't we take a quick look? We're recording Wednesday afternoon, about 12.30 here, and silver down a little bit today, although we can see started the year about 24.30, have reached that point several times. Amazing, the year has gone by, and we're almost in the same place. As I mentioned, gold, if we take a look at that, here we are at the beginning of the year, about the 1920 level up to 1992. Obviously, a lot has happened. We had the bank failures earlier this year, and we did have a surge in the price right around the same time that tensions flared up in the Middle East. Although, Steve, curious to get your thoughts on how much you think of what we've seen where prices rallied, came back in a bit, then have rallied with gold again, reaching near that $2,000 level, some more premium in there, yet when we take a look at the oil chart, shows a little bit of a different picture. Let's go back three months. Here we can see early October, uh, around $90 has come back in quite a bit. So a little bit of a di divergence there. And I wonder if this is not all war premium, but just some of the factors that are going on in the treasury market and elsewhere that driving gold and silver and curious what you've been thinking and seeing as you've watched this the past couple of months. Yeah. I, for me, actually one of the, the big day was Monday when I, when I saw gold drop down $15 right at the start of trading and then get back almost a level on Monday. I I really thought that was a sign that gold was going to start testing this 2000 level again. And, and we've since then, obviously we've crossed it a, a couple of times the next day, obviously it pushed up over over two thousand, um, I it it seems like it's at that point ready to break out, and we've talked about this in the past that we predicted as we came into November and the Fed would not raise rates. You know that that this was a time that moving into that that we would see gold prices move up, and that's happened. Um, I think you know we're at the start of that, and obviously I would believe it's going to break out a lot further here over the next you know few months and year. Um, but no, it's exciting. It's, it's there. There's lots of things happening in the world that continue to be positive and bullish for gold. You know, you, you don't have to look very far listening to other experts talk and see what they're saying and what they're predicting for 2024. And, and it's 
you know, there's always see some big numbers that get thrown out there, what people think gold's going to be at. But, but really we're, we're at a point where I think we're going to break through 2000 and hold that and, and gold will start to push to new highs and silver will follow and, and silver on the way up will outperform gold. Yeah, I know what you're saying. And there has been some bank research out as we come towards the end of the year, talking favorably about gold and silver to a degree. And we'll be interesting to see what happens once we finally get conclusively through that $2,000 level. I know people say that these things don't go straight in a lineup, although we'll point out, I mean, it's not as if this is the first time we've gotten there. You can see going back to 2020 where gold crossed 2000 for the first time has happened. I think this is now the fourth time in these last couple of years. So I also wonder if Bitcoin can go from 30,000 to 37,000 in a week or so. Makes you wonder what a similar asset like gold could do. And perhaps seeing that $24, $2,500 level, not all that far off. And something that could be driving that, Steve, uh, I think this is something you've seen, but will come as welcome news. Finally, a revival in India in October. After a slow year, we saw gold import surge, but perhaps even more significantly, big surge in the silver imports with 60 million ounces of silver going into India. And to put that in better perspective, obviously last year, we had that record-breaking year of silver importing into India, which you can see in the orange lines here, the blue lines showing 2023 where basically had fallen off a cliff until we got this 60 million ounce number in October ahead of festive season, yet about double what we saw last year and has been one of the bigger drivers. India usually buying on lower prices, but thoughts on uh, any of these imports and what could happen if we continue to see some of these numbers like that? Yeah, I mean, it's, India's India's always a wild one because yeah you never know when they're going to be buying and selling and what you like you say they typically like to buy on the dips. I obviously I mean China is a big driver on the physical side for both as well. I I still come back to the fundamentals. You know on on the silver side, it it you know countries buying is great, but the amount that the car companies and that are needing and and going to be using in the solar and that is. It just drives that even further. To me, the bullion side is like that extra little add-on. <laughs> you know, it's just that it's that traditional look of silver, but it's the industrial demand now that's going to push silver over the top. But I don't know. I like you say, all of these things are indicators. I come back again though that to me, the biggest driver of the price in both is looking at the U.S. dollar right now and seeing the U.S. dollar slowly ease off of its highs on the index. I think that's a been the main driver if when you see gold creeping up here over the last few weeks um it's been more of the u.s dollar coming from that 106 107 level now you know down at the 103 you know 104 level and that's where we're seeing gold really creep up and I, it all comes back to the u.s you know all it, it we look for things all over the world and there's things that can drive it on a daily basis or little things here or there but in the grand scheme of things it comes back to that paper market especially on silver and and whether the U.S. is going to let it run or not let it run. And can they continue to hold it down? Yeah, and here, pulling up the dollar chart, you can see that has come in quite a bit after being over the 106 level, currently at 103.97. A 
Obviously, a lot of that has to do with the Fed, which we'll dig into in just a minute. Although one thing along the lines with the Indian demand that we saw again, there's that spike up, which was in October. Last year, we saw a lot of metal coming out of the COMEX and the LBMA. Uh, perhaps I'll show the COMEX first because really it's been about a year where it's been flat. This is the registered inventory. About 35 million ounces has gone up and down below that a little bit. Um, but after uh, two years of decline, we have pretty much a year now where it's been around that 35 million ounce mark, currently at 37.14. Although something interesting that we did see here is the LBMA holdings. And if we take a look back, we can see there was a similar drop those past two years, then stayed flat, was increasing, although did see a 39 million ounce withdrawal. Wonder if some of that was used to fund the, the imports that went into India. And something that has not gotten as much attention, we continue to see silver come out of the ETFs. Yeah. Which the blue line here is showing our ETF holdings. Let's take a look back to the five year here. Again, here was that big spike right during the silver squeeze weekend, we've seen metal come out of there consistently, perhaps indicating that there has not been much investment on the institutional level. And I know you're talking with investors on a regular basis. Uh, any thoughts on what you've heard from the institutional side in terms of interest or getting back into the silver market? It would seem like this chart probably paints an accurate picture of what has been going on there, but curious what you've been hearing on that side. No, the funds are still saying the same thing. And they think that's, that's what's been frustrating on our side of the space is just this prolonged, very bearish, you know, run we've had here for the last couple of years and the funds don't have the inflows still, you know, there's some, maybe you're starting to creep in and seeing some investment come their way. But for the most part, you know, they're they're doing their research, they're ready, they, they they love stories and want to invest, but they don't have the inflows and the capital coming in yet to do it. And so at some point, you know, we're gonna get a trigger point here where those generalist funds start to pour money back into the space. And then, you know, they rely on the specialist gold and silver funds to kind of educate them and, and make their bets for them. But it's not coming in yet. It's you know, hopefully it's starting, but coming to December normally is a slow time and January is where thing, a lot of things pick up. So that maybe, you know, once we get through tax law selling season here, um, you may see capital pour back in, but I still think it's a sign of the economic hardship of what's going on in the world, you know, regardless of what, what the physical prices are doing, anything that's been paper has been tough for investors. You know, people are selling their paper assets to try and, you know, fund their livelihoods because regardless of what inflation numbers are reported by the, you know, the American government or the Canadian government, the actual herd on people and, and now you know, add, you know, the rapid fire rate hikes that they did and how that's affecting people's livelihoods and, and people are hurting and it's tough. So, you know, begrudgingly, whether they want to or not, they're selling their paper assets. And if that's a, you know, a silver ETF, or if that's, you know, stocks like ours, or, you know, stock in the producers, that's, that's what's had to go by the wayside. And then you, you throw in the rapid fire interest rate hikes, and then all those people that borrowed money to do their investments, 
and are now having to sell their assets just to pay on you know the interest and pay back the loans they took to make those investments and it's tough and that's what's created this horrible time period in our industry is just people you know we're, we're just waiting for people to be able to rebound and get back to normal yeah so steve i guess that means it would be safe to say that you're probably not imagining that we are going to see austin goolsby's austin goolsby of the fed his golden path of a huge drop in inflation without recession which he thinks is still possible Obviously, we've talked about the Fed plenty in the last couple of months when you've been on the show. I know they like to point to signs that the U.S. economy is strong, but here's a quick look. There's Dallas Fed Manufacturing Index. You can see has been down every month on the year here in Philadelphia, one month positive. But you're, you're seeing the signs of slowdown for those who choose to look kansas city fed similar picture here's uh chicago fed national activity index again similar picture as in the new york state empire manufacturing index and here's another interesting one the leading economic indicators index that you can see has really dropped off a cliff uh beginning in last year and throughout this year which is interesting because as you can see in the gray sections here do have a pattern of when it falls below zero gray being the recession we saw that after dot com we saw that in 2008 saw that in 2020 and i don't i don't know if austin Goolsby is going to be uh, nostradamus and forecasting a change this time but seems like we're headed to the same outcome in uh, whether it actually occurs according to GDP figures in 2023 or 2024 seems like we're headed in that direction. Yeah. I mean, again, I calling something a recession or a depression or what we're in, I know that times have been really hard for people for the last couple of years. And so, I mean, to me, the the I guess the one benchmark that they use to say that we're not in a recession is the jobs, you know, and people still have jobs and can get work. But I come back to what what type of job are people getting and how do they calculate that? You know, we how often do we read, you know, about these you know the big tech companies and they've laid off a thousand people, ten thousand people, they've you know eliminated all these high paying jobs, and then you know people are becoming uber drivers or you know skip the dish drivers or doing three or four of these different things and counting as four jobs in the jobs numbers and not making as much as they were making in their one job that they had that was the job they actually wanted before and so i mean to me and then you throw in what the cost of goods are and what people's livelihoods are and whether you call it a recession or not it's it's a horrid economic time that feels you know as bad or worse as i remember some of those recessions so um yeah, we're in one. This is this is bad. This isn't a good time. Like it's this, you know. Thank God we've got some elections coming up, and hopefully that can help you know stimulate and change some things moving forward here over the next little bit. But it's it's I don't. I mean, it's so funny to me what gets ignored. You know, what the the obvious and simple things, and and people try and go all over the you know the place trying to figure out you know using the you know fringe indicators when it's it's always been very straightforward. You know, it's gold and silver go up. The Fed is a major driver of that. The U.S. dollar is a major driver of that. 
major events around the world, you know, drive, put more on a short-term level, you know, the rea- the knee-jerk reactions to like the war in Ukraine or the war, you know, what's going on now in Israel, you get bumps, but they don't tend to sustain metals prices for very long. It, the, the overall indicator and, and for now has always been what the U.S. is doing. And that will slowly change as the U.S. loses their, you know, power as the reserve currency of the world and, and you know, the be all end all of investment in the safe haven. You know, as the BRICS nations step up, and you know, when we get this gold-backed currency that they'll, or gold partially gold-backed currency that they'll create out of that, China, you know, continues to flex their economic power, and Russia working in hand in hand with them, and you know, taking on the U.S. and that's coming, and they're seeing the weakness of the U.S. I mean, if you just treat the U.S. like a business model and you see that debt, unless something dramatically changes to wipe away that debt, and you know, we've talked in the past about what that could be and what they could do and what that would mean for gold and silver if they did what we think they would do. But it's, you know, the U S you can't, you can't continue to print money. You can't continue to just go in further and further and further into debt. And there are economists that say you can, I guess, you know, but fundamentally as a business, you can't do that. So why should a country be able to do that? Well, I think like we discussed before we hit the record button today, that perhaps 2024 will be the year where that really does get to its break point with so much debt set to be rolled over a lot of the traditional buyers of the debt not being as interested in buying more you saw a less than ideal auction on the 30-year bond two weeks ago which i would suggest is perhaps somewhat indicative of what we're seeing there and steve like you pointed out with the jobs numbers uh, i guess it's interesting maybe if you just took the headline number that comes out every first friday of the month and ignored the revisions that um could paint Which they do. no one ever talks about the revision <laughs> it's always oh the jobs number was great look at that it exceeded expectations and then you look at the revision and it's like why doesn't the media jump all over the revision and be like wow yeah no why why for you know years every month in a row is the revision was the jobs actually worse <laughs> well i think fortunately more people are starting to become aware of that Obviously, we talk about it plenty here, and there are a lot of other channels in, I guess we call it the alt media that discuss that. Zero Hedge has uh, a lot of articles covering that. I don't know how many mainstream people are reading Zero Hedge, but either case, uh, another thing you mentioned that actually had pulled up here, of course, you talked about China and the BRICS and their affinity for gold. It's interesting. We did see those increased premiums in China last month, and Sure enough, we had an article from Vince Lanzi, who does our Monday show, that has put together that some of the deliveries uh, were China taking delivery from New York to close that ARB. So can some days only wonder what is going on behind the scenes? Uh, I don't think Russia just threw out that gold peg and then forgot about it. And even if we didn't get a gold settlement currency back in august uh seems like they're still working towards that and in terms of what you mentioned about institutional this one was interesting this was a note from bank of america and they had a silver comment it's worth noting that the above ground stocks especially at storage sites like the cme and the lbma have fallen steadily so these are the kind of things that has it made a massive impact in the price yet no but the fact that the banks are publishing things like this, which does get to the institutional investors, uh, hopefully a good sign that there is some more awareness. And Steve, in terms of some other numbers that came out, we did get the Silver Institute's 
mid-year forecast that was just last week. Interesting notes here in terms of the deficit. They revised the deficit, got even a little bigger from 237 million ounces now um, up to 253 million ounces, forecasting 140 million ounces in 2023. And a couple highlights here. Uh, you see that the silver industrial demand expected to grow 8% up to a record 632 million ounces was somewhat balanced out because they have global total silver demand. They're forecasting a 10% de decrease um, in a bunch of the non-industrial buckets like silver jewelry and silverware down 22 and 47% forecasting lower physical investment this year largely uh, in Germany and India, but Germany where they had that VAT tax that they added to the coins in the beginning of 2023. Though an interesting one, we do see global mined silver production expected to fall 2% this year. And obviously you and I have talked a lot about the conditions that we have now that perhaps are longer term in effect with not a lot of money coming into the space, but I know you're pretty close to the whole silver mining community as you're on the exploration side, but a part of that. And any thoughts on seeing a projected 2% decrease in mine production and anything we might see going forward? Doesn't surprise me. We've talked about it on every, you know, every talk that we do. It's just silver's harder and harder to find. I would also point out this backtracking that that physical investment. I mean, we just we just touched on the other, I guess paper that was produced after this because we just saw India buying record you know a massive amount of silver and and this obviously was forecasting that you know India was barely doing anything so again I would think that that the physical investment side and their numbers in that document would change based on what you showed for India for one month there as they're citing that India you know is being deterred by record high local prices but obviously they weren't um going back to silver production though i mean that's that's been the ongoing thing silver is harder and harder to find near surface silver you know has for the most part been found in the easy areas and 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 the big thing with silver that comes back to it is if we don't see higher silver prices the deposits that are out there a lot of them aren't economic so if we don't get dramatically higher silver prices the producers won't you know buy the expiration assets and put them into production because they're not going to make money off them if it's a primary silver product. You know, if it's an if it's an asset that's a primary gold and has silver as a byproduct, then great. The silver is, you know, an added. But a lot of those byproduct mines, you know, it's not gonna drive, especially, you know, when you're if you're talking like where we are in Mexico or other places, you know, on gold byproduct for silver, it's it's not going to drive that supply number up in a in a overly meaningful way you need some massive silver products and probably more of the big porphyries to start coming back online and producing you know big silver byproducts like you know you get at penasquito and some of the other larger mines and and what you get through south america but then we get into the political side of what's happening in south america and you're not going to see a lot of new big porphyries come online in peru and chile where you get a lot of the silver from so it's a problem and that's again why we need to see silver prices spike and spike dramatically and that'll drive you know an additional wave of expiration to really push through you know people will start pushing into some of those more politically unstable or you know questionable countries you know if there's a big run looking for silver projects because you know finally you can make money at a primary silver you know project but for the most part they're few and far between that you can do that um 
and and again why the silver companies have essentially become gold companies you know they produce a little bit more silver than the gold companies but their primary metal that they're producing is gold because that's where they can make money and have been made, able to make money over the last you know 10 years silver silver needs a number at least you know to drive any interest over 30 as far as primary silver and bringing on a lot of the assets that are out there right now that are primary silver and and with inflation and what's gone on that number is probably you know that was probably the number 10 years ago never mind what the number probably is now which would probably even be higher than that are there a lot of projects and i'm not talking about new projects that still have development to be done but let's say we had silver 35 dollars are there projects that are ready to come online that have been laying dormant for the last couple of years with a lower price or is there not much out there that can be turned on quickly? Nothing gets turned on quickly. I mean, there are, there are projects, there are definitely assets that have large silver resources that at $30 silver would get put into production and you'd produce, you know, so, uh, you know, it would be, they'd be mines that would come online that have large silver resources, but you're not doing that. They're not ready to go. They don't have all the permits in place to say, Oh, the second the silver is at this, we can start building our mine. And even if you did then, you know, it's not quick to build a mine. Even if you have your production permit in place and you bring in your crushers and you start laying all your, you know, the groundwork for that, you're, you're a year, two years minimum to build and get the bigger ones up and running, if not longer. So they're there. And, but that's why I say it, it can't just be, it's not a, this doesn't change overnight. If silver goes to $50 tomorrow, they don't come online. You know, the, the mining companies want to see a sustained price and they want to build, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll build it. They're not going to use, if we're at 30, they're not using 30 to test the project. They're going to use $20 silver to test that project as a base case to make sure that's economic. So they, until you've got a sustained number of 30 for or plus or 50 or whatever that number becomes, you know, for a year, two years, and starts to give those mining companies, you know, okay, there we have a more appropriate floor price here on the metal that we can start using, you know, a higher price when they're doing their their mine models. It, it takes time, and it's going to take a lot of time before they start doing that. But we need to get there, and we need to get there quick to start, you know, to start having them think about raising their their min prices that they use in their modeling. Well, certainly sets up some interesting dynamics that we'll see how they unfold. And again, uh, perhaps the keynote from that Silver Institute update was, again, set to run a deficit this year. So, And I believe that was probably put together before we had that big India silver import number. So be interesting to see if that changes things, especially if they have a big number in November and December. Really quite curious about that because they've been the the imports dropped almost to zero throughout the year until we had that big one there. So something to keep an eye on, which we will do going forward. And Steve, perhaps the last thing to cover uh, is if you could just give us an update on how things are coming along at Silver Viper. I know that you are getting excited to be out drilling again soon. And perhaps you could give us an update on how things are coming along there. If you have any further insight into the timeline and anything else you could share. Yeah, I mean, we're we're very carefully watching the market and want to make sure that, you know, when we start drilling that the results are going to be as impactful as possible into, into investors that, you know, have money to put into companies that are putting out good results. So we're, we're 
working together with our board and making sure that we have the right timing on when we start drilling, you know, that we're into a real market. Um, in the meantime, you know, our crews continue to work and we actually, my report that I got yesterday on the project, they, they found another vein that had previously been unknown and XRF gun was showing that that vein had silver in it, which is always, you know, obviously a great sign. And that's, that's a vein sitting down, you know, kind of south of Macho Libre between the historic area and historic area where mine finders Pan American worked at La Virginia, Con Virginia, Macho Libre. And so that was, that was interesting to find another, you know, wide vein with, you know, sulfides and everything in it. So that was kind of a positive and another, just another target to add to the list that could become potential new discoveries when we start drilling, you know, them once we resume drilling. So very exciting to continue to find and keep adding these new areas that are, you know, have lots of potential. And then obviously our, you know, our main focus of El Ruby that will continue to grow the resource there and the open pit resource as well as developing an underground once we resume drilling. So it's exciting times and it's, you know, it's a great time for people to invest because these prices are so far below where they should be based on, you know, what we already have in a resource and, and what our grades are and what our recoveries are and everything else that the project has going for it. So I, it is actually a very exciting time and I'm, and very much looking forward to you know this breaking out in the near future and watching metals prices break out and then watching that money start to come back into the space to to drive you know the expiration and investment into the juniors that have been beat up here for two plus years yes i think there's a lot of people who are excited about that and steve obviously in addition to el ruby you've been focusing on macho libro el molino as two of the potential targets going forward well i'm curious after drilling out those let's say we're five years into the future i know you've been excited about the exploration potential uh, how many years of drilling do you think you have and any degree to which you can put obviously I won't ask you to say what happens in areas you haven't drilled but how far out from there do you really anticipate drilling or do you see the potential i mean potential we have you know, it, it, we, we could, we've got lots, like we could drill for years and years and years. If you want to hit all the different targets, you've got La Gloria, which is our big porphyry target to the North that we haven't touched. Um, El Ruby itself, we can delineate fairly fast. Um, and, and El Ruby itself could be ready to become an open pit, you know, even after, you know, say drilling through next year, El Ruby, you'd have a very good idea. You'd be able to produce a PEA on it. A feasibility study and and it would be ready to go as you know the open pit to start there um the question would be yeah based on discoveries how much drilling elsewhere and expanding and how many more l rubies do you find on the project and and that's the debate for the big mining companies is do you start on l ruby by itself but when you're designing a mine you want to know you know you've got to kind of look at life of mine how much materials you can have and if you could find five or six or even you know two three four more l rubies that changes what that mine model would look like and how many tons per day and how much you know ounces you want to produce per year and they kind of typically look at you know 10-year mine lives and want to build that that mill and around you know what they can do in 10 years and then as you add then it just will add to the life of the mine beyond that 10-year cycle so it's a tough question because it's all dependent on what you find in those other targets and how much more you add in El Ruby, um, how much of an underground component you would add above and beyond the open pit side of things. But 
I mean, it, I think, you know, after a proper full year of drilling on El Ruby and the surrounding areas, you're, you're ready to make that kind of production decision on the project, you know, and, and start permitting and getting ready and have an idea of how big of a deposit or how big of a mine you would want to build here. Well, that makes sense. I know you've been uh, eager and excited to go and perhaps just uh, you can let folks know if they have questions, want to find out more about the drilling plans, what you've found so far and what you're thinking is going forward. Just uh, if you could let them know the best way to get in touch. Yeah, all of our information's on the website there, www.silverviperminerals.com. Reach out to Alicia or myself. Our email is info at silverviperminerals. Comes to both Alicia and I. And yeah, more than happy to answer any questions that people might have. Well, appreciate that, Steve. Appreciate you joining us as always. It's always fun talking with you. You have a great knowledge of the mining side and also the economics that are going on there. So hopefully this was helpful to everyone at home watching. And again, I would like to wish a safe and healthy holiday for everyone and happy Thanksgiving to you all. And Steve, we'll look forward to seeing you again next month. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, and happy Thanksgiving, everyone down south. We celebrated ours a month ago, but enjoy your Thanksgiving. Uh, down the US.